0: And that's kind of what we're talking about in this series, this little study in the book of Colossians, a a four-chapter book, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And my wife gave such an incredible introduction last week, introducing the series and introducing uh, us to this book. And what we learned is that Paul wasn't just writing them a letter to encourage their faith. He was also writing a letter to contend for their faith because the church was in a fight the the church in colossae was moving into a new season and here's one thing you got to understand is that anytime we've got like christmas bells or something looking all right anytime you are moving in to a new season anytime you're preparing to take new ground you're not going to get you're not going to take new territory without a battle so don't get discouraged when you're preparing to move into a new season and all of a sudden there's conflict, all of a sudden there's problems, all of a sudden there's troubles and trials. You just better bank on the fact it comes with taking new territory. In this church, we're about to take some new territory. We are literally taking new ground in our city. And so with that in mind, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. You can turn there in your Bible. Those of you who don't have a Bible yet, we'll put the words on the screen so we can all follow along together. And uh, I just encourage you, make sure you get a Bible because uh, it's the way that you're gonna change and grow. Read your Bible, pray every day, you're gonna grow. And so I read the Bible on my phone 90% of the time. You can get a free one at bible.com. I encourage you to do that. It's an easy way to do it. But Colossians chapter two, let's read this. I'm gonna read 10 verses, then I'll unpack it for you. It says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those that lay of And for all who've not met me personally. So he says, Hey, I'm fighting for you. And not just fighting for you, but I'm I'm fighting for those who haven't even met me yet. You know, that's one of the interesting things about the church. The church is the only organization, the face of the world, that exists for the sole purpose of its non-members. You know, we, we don't just exist for the people that are here, we exist for the people that aren't here yet. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I'm contending, I'm fighting not just for you. But even those that I haven't met yet, that's what we do when we come here. Got to get ready. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments for Though I'm absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. Paul is in prison at this time when he's writing this letter saying, I'm not with you physically, but my heart is with you. My thoughts are with you. I'm thinking about you. He says, I'm with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue To live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought Fullness. I want to use this passage to talk to you today from this subject, full disclosure. Full disclosure. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I have two titles for you. Uh, The first one is full disclosure, the second one is it's a package deal. That's the European title. It's a package deal. You know, we broadcast all over the world, so we have to make sure everything translates. So it's full disclosure. It's a package deal. And I know we prayed once, but let's face it, some of you need a lot of prayer. So I wanna pray again, and then we'll get into God's word. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping me. God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind to know, and a heart to receive all the things you have for us today. God, I believe you're gonna speak clearly to what people are facing in Jesus' name. Everybody who agrees with that can say, Amen. I'm curious. How many of you like secrets? Anybody like secrets? Not a lot of hands going up. You might be keeping it a secret, the fact that you like secrets, because you like them so much. Um, I come from a family that is pretty good at keeping secrets. And I'm not talking about my, fam- my wife and kids. I'm talking about the family I grew up in. Pretty good at keeping secrets. Now, a very honest family, not a deceptive family But a family that was good at keeping secrets, I just think, see, my dad was a pastor growing up. And I think when you grow up in a pastor's home, you just kind of learn to talk and communicate in code. Like there would be times that, uh, you know, my parents might run out because there was a crisis situation. Maybe somebody needed counseling. And on the way home, you know, they would stop at the store and pick up some milk before they came home. And as a kid, I remember being like, well, where did you guys go? And I would hear this response, oh, we had to run some errands. Well, it's not completely untrue, but I mean, you kind of left out some of the details. Somebody calls on the phone and, you know, they're, they're talking to them about a, a really uh, important matter. And rather than talking about the fact that, you know, that they're they're going through incredible drama, I would ask, hey, who was it that called? Oh, just, you know, somebody in the church. What do they need? Oh, they, you know, they just needed to catch me up on some stuff in their life. Like, that was it. The crazy thing is, my, my parents are not pastoring a church anymore. They're, they're still in ministry and do missions trips. But uh, to this day, uh, it is still like an interrogation to get the truth out of them. I will, I will call them up, and I'll say, hey, would you like to come over for dinner this Friday? And my mom will answer. She'll be like, well, I'm, I've got some stuff. I'm kind of busy. You got some stuff going on this weekend. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what's going on? Well, we have some people coming to visit us. Oh, okay. That's, that's great. Who's, who's coming to visit? Uh, your sister. <laughs> okay. My sister. Well, do you think? I mean, would you all like to come over? Well, your nephews are coming too. Well, we can invite. Every, I mean, it's like 20 questions just to get down to the truth. And, you know, if I'm honest, sometimes I do this with my wife. It's not intentional. Uh, at this point, I think it's genetic because I'll just leave things out. And uh, in fairness, I've got other stuff on my mind. But that's <laughs> unlike my family, Paul is right into the Colossian church because he's one of them to know the whole truth. He's not trying to leave anything out. He, he, Full disclosure, he wants them to know what it means to follow Christ. And there was a number of people who'd come into the church who had said, hey, yes, you're following Jesus, but you don't have all the information of what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, there's some secret revelation that you don't know. There's there's some other Hoops that you have to jump through to really be in relationship with God. And and Paul, he wants to set the record straight. So he says in verse 2, he says, I'm writing you so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm not holding anything back in this letter. I'm not withholding information. He's also not withholding any effort. Paul is not pulling any punches. He is contending. the, The reason he is contending, he says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. The reason he's contending is because the Colossian church is under attack. Now, they're not under attack from persecution. They're not under attack from trials and tribulations, external circumstances and problems. They are under attack because they have some bad beliefs. Some bad beliefs. There there was this teaching in this day that was a mixture of a bunch of different belief systems. It was a bunch of BS, belief systems. And it was a little bit of Judaism. It was a a little bit of Roman belief, a little bit of belief that had its roots in Christianity. And then it had some beliefs that had nothing to do with, with God wasn't religious at all, and Paul's writing to address this. The theological term for this is called religious syncretism. Don't you feel so smart giving you these deep theological words? You don't get this just at any church, but today you find out about religious syncretism. Now, you don't have to know anything about theology to understand religious syncretism. You don't even have to understand that word because religious syncretism is exactly the same kind of spiritual climate and culture that you and I live in today. Where it's, I like a little bit of Jesus, but I like some of this other stuff too. Uh, it's where I'm just going to kind of, I like some parts of the Bible. You know, I like, the, I like the New Testament Jesus, but I don't want any of the Old Testament, you know, wrath of God and judgment. Don't want that part. It's where, you know, we will never take a stand on anything that could be controversial because in our elevated mindset, we think that somehow we are more moral, more just, or more loving than God. It's where instead of determining the morality of culture through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the Bible, what we do is we look at the morality of the Bible through the lens of culture. That's what was happening. That's the situation right here in the Colossians. They're buying into what Paul calls this philosophy that told them they needed to add something to their salvation, that faith in Jesus was not enough. So Paul writes this entire letter back to them, refuting this bad theology. And he says, look, it is Jesus plus nothing that justifies you before the Lord. So we heard last week, Jesus changes everything. The things that you think you're lacking, when you're in Christ, they are all part of the package. It is a package deal. You have full access, full disclosure to God. There's not a hidden secret, that there's not some kind of secret revelation that you don't understand, but there is something that you do need to understand. This is what you need to understand is that when you came to faith in Christ, there was a trust that you placed in Christ that needs to keep going. He says it in verse six of Colossians chapter two. Let's look at it on the screen one time. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Here's the truth. Here's what I want you to write down is that trust doesn't conclude at salvation. It's meant to continue. Now, I know that seems elementary, but I need you to understand because if we're gonna step into a new season, Lots of times we get tripped up, we're stuck where we're at, thinking that we can't move forward. And because this issue's not done, we never move into what God has for us. But trust doesn't just conclude at salvation. Trust doesn't just conclude with that issue that you're trying to change, with that thing that you want fixed. It is meant to continue. It's meant to continue. So understand, when you're saved, you're saved in a moment. When you accept Jesus, you are changed in a moment. In that moment, it is a complete work. It is fully carried out. But I want to help you with this because I just meet a lot of people, and sometimes I I, I notice we can get discouraged when we read in Scripture that the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we read that, and we know that, But if that's true, why am I still dealing with these same issues? Like, I thought Jesus changes everything. Why am I still getting tripped up with old habits? I thought Jesus changes everything. I I thought I would have moved past this by now. I I, I wanted to leave that baggage behind. I want to move into what God has, but I can't get past this. And that's because Jesus changes everything at salvation, but sanctification is still a process. Sanctification. Now, that's another theological word. I know I'm, I'm throwing a lot at you today. Sanctification is, is just this word. It's a theological word. To, to talk about what, what it means is the change that takes place on the inside of us at salvation has to be carried out. There's an inward transformation. That the outward working of that inward transformation is called sanctification. It describes the process that God brings about change in our lives. And it doesn't conclude at salvation. It's meant to continue. It's a process. I was thinking about process and just the way God works. I was thinking about the the birthing process. Um, I remember when our firstborn, Reese, came into the world. It was a crazy process. It was crazy because, you know, as probably most. New first-time parents are. We were thinking, you know, we're going to do this all natural and all of this, and then we're, there were some complications towards the end of it, and the plan went out the window. And uh, Marissa was just like, "Just give me the drugs. Just I want the drugs. Just give them to me." Now, because you know, Reese, he's always been a little bit stubborn, and he just you know wouldn't cooperate in that moment. So we had an emergency C-section. But I'm not really talking about that process. Um, I, I want to talk to you just you know about. Just the the process of the way, you know, God, if he wanted to, the birthing process, like he could have made fully formed humans and brought them to the world. But even even that process indicates a little bit about the nature of God. He brings us into the world in a state of full dependency. So so the process. Well, first part of the process, it's awesome, lots of fun, not preaching about that. That'll be a different sermon sometime. But then there's like nine months and... (laughs) The, those nine months you know the woman gets bigger I remember Marissa getting bigger and by bigger I mean more beautiful like just more she there's more beauty oh, just shut up okay um, the, so the the baby's growing is what I'm trying to say and I remember like in those moments I'm thinking about okay um, I, I need to make sure you know that everything's okay like I don't you know this is our first firstborn so she eating the right foods, because like I wouldn't want you know if she doesn't eat the right foods, our kid might be born with like a third eye or something like that. So I've got to make sure the right foods, and I mean you better not like be smoking cigarettes around her. That's the firstborn, like you know I will come, you know I won't be pulling any punches for that, like that you know, and just all that kind of stuff, making sure she's getting enough rest, make, all that all those things that happen, you know, in those first nine months, like being so concerned that we're doing everything right. And I remember the day Reese was born. There's something special about your firstborn. I remember it. It's a crazy process. And, and when he finally came, I was like, we did it. I mean, you did it, but I was there. So, like, we did it. Mission accomplished, you know? Like, it's done. Finally stop being so concerned. Right? But I didn't know that what I thought was the closing ceremony was really just the starting bell. You know, what what I thought would conclude at birth was really only the beginning. And, And the concern that I had for Reese didn't stop at birth. It had to be sustained. Well, it's the same thing in your walk with God. See, a lot of people get tripped up in transition and we are about to make a transition as a church, and maybe you've got some transition in your life right now. A lot of people get tripped up in transition because they didn't know that the package is the process. The the package is the process. Jesus changes everything. In a moment, you are changed. You are saved. You have the fullness of God in you. But Paul tells us, so then, just as you received Christ, Continue to live your lives in him. So how did you receive Christ? You had to trust him, trust that what he said was true. Ephesians says it's by grace through faith. It's a package deal. You receive him, but you got to move with him. You receive him, but you got to live in him. Not live for him. We get it messed up sometimes. Sometimes we think we're supposed to live for God. No, you got to live in Him. Live in Him, step by step, stage by stage. You have the fullness of God the moment you accept Christ. But moving and maintaining, it's a package deal. Now, the false truth that Paul was confronting, the false teaching, it's called Gnosticism. Man, I got three big words in here today. You are so smart. It's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism had this core philosophy that the more you know about God, the more knowledge that you have, well, the closer to God that you are. The the more knowledge, and especially like if you have some kind of secret revelation, well, then you must be really close to God. That's why Paul says, hey, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So the church there, there was this weird mentality of comparison and competition about who had more knowledge about God. And it's kind of ironic to me because we're, we're calling this series Packing Punch. And it's got this, you know, kind of indicates even this boxing metaphor. And so you might hear that and think, like, well, competition is probably a good thing. But what's ironic is that what can make you an incredible athlete can actually take you captive in your Christianity because competition takes you captive. Or a better way to put it, maybe, is comparison will take you captive. See, a lot of our misery... And a lot of our frustration, when we look at our life and we think, "I thought this was done. Why haven't I moved past this? Why am I still dealing with this issue? I want to move on to what's next, but I can't get past this." A lot of our misery, and a lot of our frustration, is due to the fact that we—not uh, the life that we actually have, not, 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 the, not the life that—not uh, our actual situation, but the life that we think we should have, because we're comparing ours to someone else's. This is why you gotta understand something about calling. Now, if there's one question I get asked about more than any other, probably is calling. People don't use that word, but they'll say, you know, moving into a new situation, start a new school year, think about where to go to school, start a new job, should I do this, Should I do this? this is the question, what should I do? What's God's plan for my life? How, when should this happen? How do I know when to move? Is this the right decision to make? And a calling is a great thing having a vision for your life, knowing what God has called you to do, which, by the way, that's, all, that's what essentials is all about, It's to help you understand God's purpose and plan for your life. Essentials is to help you understand how God made you because part of understanding how God made you gives you insight into why God made you. Sometimes people don't understand essentials. They think, well, is this like for new believers or is this like for new people to the church? Here's the question you need to ask about essentials. Have I been? If the answer is no, you need to go. That's, that's the reality. It's, it's to help you move forward with God's plan and purpose for your life. And so we do that to help people understand calling. Calling is great because a calling brings clarity. A calling is clarifying. And I bring that up because the world doesn't live by calling. The world lives by competition. Measuring itself against itself. And this mentality creeps into the church and it creeps into our lives and it takes us captive because we see what somebody else is doing, and then we wonder, well, why am I not doing that? We see what somebody else is doing, and we wonder, you know, what's wrong with me? And comparison, and the spirit of competition can mess you up on both extremes. Because on one hand, you might look at somebody else's accomplishments, somebody else's spirituality, somebody else's trajectory, and you see where they're at. And the enemy can use that to make you bitter, thinking, what's wrong with me, just to amplify your insecurity. But on the other hand, if you look at somebody and you're doing better than them, what can make you complacent? Thinking, well, you know, I'm doing better than they are. Or I'm doing at least what they are but maybe God has called you to, to do more than they are. Maybe God has a completely different trajectory for your life and purpose for your life. And anytime time you are doing a job that you weren't designed to do, you will always end up frustrated. So I'll give you a little confession. I mean, it's not really a confession because I've told you before, but maybe you're new here, so you're going to find this out about me. Like, I'm I'm not the most handy person around the house. had a hole in my wall the other day. It's a different story. I'll tell you sometime. <laughs> somebody, somebody else had to come over and fix it for me. You know the truth? It's not even completely fixed yet. That's how bad it is. That was like three weeks ago. Because um, that's me. I'm, I'm not the most handy person around the house. But I learned why I'm not the most handy person around the house. You know why? Because I don't have a lot of tools. Like all my tools fit into one tool bag, Really? And so what happened, I don't even know if I own a hammer. Like, I will try to, like, pound a nail into the wall with a tape measure because that's what I have on hand. You're laughing because you've done it. But that's not good for anybody. When you start using a tool for a purpose that was never intended, you end up causing more damage, more pain, getting frustrated, wasting energy, wasting time, and it doesn't solve the problem. And a lot of us wonder why we're frustrated with where we're at because we're trying to do a job that we were never intended to do. You're pursuing something that you were never purposed for. You need to know what God has called you to, and you need to know what he has not called you to. And essentials will help you with that. So here's what Paul says. You want to know how to move forward, move into what's next, prepare powerfully for what God has for you, you need to know that the grace that saved you is also enough to carry you forward. He says this in verse nine. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. I wanna look at verse nine. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. You guys believe that? That that. In Christ, Jesus is the full disclosure of God, that he is God in the flesh. All of God is represented in him. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, full of the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus is God in the flesh. The the fullness of God is in him. But look at that next verse, verse 10. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Now, a lot of us believe that first part about verse 9, but we don't believe that part about verse 10, that in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. The fullness of God is in you. But there is a different reality that I want to speak over your life today, that the fullness of Christ has been given to you if you are in him. And if you will get this, this is the death blow to the spirit of competition and comparison in your life. Because if God fully approves of you, then what do you have to prove to anybody? Here's another way to put it. If you are complete in Christ, the fullness of God in you, then you don't have to compete with anyone. See, true freedom comes in Christ the moment you realize you've got nothing to prove to anyone. Because Christ Jesus fully approves of you, and that helps me. It stops the spirit of competition in its tracks. It breaks the power of it in my life, and you don't just learn this one time. You have to continue. You have to continue. The corruption of constant comparison doesn't go away just because you hit a certain level of success, just because you arrive at a certain destination. You got to learn this as we're going into a new season. Comparison doesn't go away just because you, you hit a certain level. I'm tell you something, success is just an amplifier. You know what an amplifier is? We've got our worship team up here, and you know we can amplify their sound. Let me tell you something. If they're not good to begin with, it doesn't matter how loud we turn them up. They're not, turning them up is not going to make them sound better. And If you've got a character defect in your life, success is not going to make that go away. If you've got issues in your life when no one knows your name, the moment everybody knows your name, those are only going to be magnified. So I want to ask you this question today. This has eternal implications. What are you trying to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? What are you trying to prove and who are you trying to prove it to? Because if you are trying to prove something to someone who already loves you, that's stupid. They already love you. You don't need to prove anything to them. And if you're trying to prove something to somebody who doesn't love you so that you can earn their love, that's a waste of time. Because even if you gain their approval, what have you gained? You know, if, if their love is something that you have to earn, they're not a lover. Usually when you have to pay for somebody's love, we have a different name for that person. So who are you, what are you trying to prove? And who are you trying to prove it to? Here's what I hope you see in this message. God doesn't judge my life based on what I do. Instead, he calls me to be faithful with what he's given to me. The best way I can illustrate this, we don't have time to turn there, but write it down, you you can look it up for yourself, is in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives this parable. It's called the parable of the talents. It's about this Master, this Lord, this king that's going away, packing up, he's going away for a while. He goes to this other city. But before he goes, he gives some money, some talents to some servants of his. Gives one of them five, one of them two, one of them one. You know the story that one with five, he goes and he's faithful with it, multiplies it, he gets five back. The one with two, faithful with it, and multiplies, it gets two back. The one with one doesn't act on it, doesn't do anything. And a lot of times we focus on the one with one, but I was thinking about the other two, the one that had five and the one that had two. It's that they both got the same reward. Both of them, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant, and had what they were faithful with multiplied back to them. What that tells me is that God doesn't expect me to produce the same results as everybody else, but he is looking for me to bring a maximum return. He is looking for me to invest all of myself into his purpose and plan for my life. And I'm trying to set you free today to move into what God has for you and not stay stuck or tripped up for moving forward. And I would just love to declare some of the truth of God's word in your life that you are fully forgiven. That you are fully accepted. That you are fully loved in Christ. That you are fully capable because Christ is in you. That you are fully able to do everything he has Called you to do, and you're also fully responsible to continue to honor God with what He's entrusted to you. Can I say a prayer for you?